We're continuing on a series entitled Heeding God's Instructions. Amen. Hope it has been of benefit to ye all as well as myself. So I'm going to read the text scripture from the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 10 through 25. All right. 1 Samuel 15 verses 10 through 25. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and is gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, I will, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou wast little in thine own sight, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to leaven than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for the awesome privilege of partaking of your word. And right now we thank you, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, Father. If there's been any areas in which we have failed to fully obey the things that we have clearly heard you speak into our lives, if we have compromised, whether it's out of our own motives or if it's fearing uh, reprisals, rejection, or control, or manipulating, manipulation, intimidation of other people, whatever the reason, Lord, we praise and thank you, Father, that you would speak into our hearts and show us clearly those things where we have denied or rejected you, things that probably have hindered us from achieving the things that we've desired. And right now we thank and praise you, Father, as we repent of these things, you would open up the door again for us to be able to pursue and attain the dreams, the vision, the opportunities that you had originally set before us. We thank you, Father, for this, and 
Father, just even allow us to grow through this process, Father, that as different trials and tribulations and things will come our way again, we would not compromise the things that you've shown us. We just praise you. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise, Father, for these things. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Saul, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He didn't even give... Sam with a chance to even tell him whether he did right or wrong. And that really shows there's probably a state of conviction in his heart that he knew Samuel was a man of God. He knew he wasn't a person to pull punches. He knew he wasn't a person to play games or waste his time. So just the fact that he knew Samuel was coming to visit with him, he already knew, "Uh uh-oh, judgment day is coming, and I'm about to hear something that steps on my toes. But instead of just coming clean and saying, all right, I know you're here to visit me because... I probably did something wrong. Can you reveal it to me? Or even having Samuel come around, he says, oh, I know why you're here. Look, I'm sorry. I messed up. He tries to play games with him. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Well, he knew full well that he had done exactly the opposite. And you've got to wonder sometimes why God is so nitpicky. Why is it that I have to do everything at 100%? Why can't I do it partially? But as we see here, he's saying that those people, the Malachites, are sinners. And all you really need is one person in a group to mess up the whole group. You know, Jesus said this all the time to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. To make it easy and plain, you get yourself a clear glass of water, drop a, a drop of blue dye out of there. What happens? That water immediately starts to turn blue or purple or green or whatever cup color it is and here's the thing you might be saying well what's the big deal it's just a slight tint that you can barely detect but what if it's a drop of poison that same person that will say i'll take a cup of water you put a drop of uh or a pinch of kool-aid in there i'll drink it anyway what if it's arsenic oh you will see how a little bit can mess up the whole thing then But on a daily basis, we don't think about that in terms of situations where we may compromise. We don't realize that in a similar fashion, even though to you it might seem to be a little tint, a little pinch, to God, no, that's poison. You're destroying yourself with that decision to either allow something to be introduced into your life or to refuse to remove something that could be a problem. Amen? One of the greatest organs you have in your entire body, believe it or not, you're looking at it all the time. Your skin. A lot of people don't even think about it. We just think of it as a layering, a covering, you know, an outer cell to the inner being. But the reality is your skin is an organ. And there's a lot of people going around with freckles on their forehead and their chest and their arms and everything that did not have them in childbirth. But after years and years and going out there in the sun, laying out there for hours with pale skin and, you know, not putting on UV protective sunblock, years later, they get, a, they, get they start off with freckles and then they might have something that looks a little wrong, a mole or something like that. And they think, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to go to a doctor or dermatologist. And the next thing you know, when it's too late and that thing grows, all of a sudden, you got skin cancer. We'll remove it. It spreads. It's all over your body now. So a little leaven, 
or mole or tent or a drop can leaven and kill the entire thing if it's not dealt with. And that's why God was so particular here. Get rid of all the Amalekites. Destroy every trace of them. Not just the people, but also the sheep. Destroy them all. Because Israel, I want you to be pure, untainted, undefiled. And as long as there's one little bit of them remaining, the residue of their sin can infiltrate you, my people, and now render you toxic before my sight. And Saul, as the leader who had the responsibility to enforce all the people of God obeying the will of God and knowing exactly what God wanted him to do, he compromised, tried to blame it on all, all the people. But the reality is he probably, even in the terms of the livestock he destroyed, they probably destroyed all the ones that had blemishes. It's easy to kill them. But wow, look at that sheep. I'm keeping him. And yeah, I know I'm supposed to kill King Agag, but... We're still going through foreign lands. You never know when we might need to establish a truth. And maybe he knows a few people here and there. So I'll keep him alive. So he had his own motive instead of trusting and doing exactly what God told him to do. So last week we looked at the fact that God said he had repented of elevating Saul to king. Does God feel like repenting over how he's established us? We need to pray and consider that. And then we looked at whether or not we're fooling ourselves about our level of obedience. Are we doing what God has told us to do at 100%, 50%, 75%, maybe on a good day, 100 and on a bad day, eh, I can't quite do that today. What is our level of obedience, and are we fooling ourselves and thinking that we're serving God more faithfully than we really are? Amen? Saul did it. So Saul did it. There's a possibility that each one of us could do it as well. Then we looked at when faults are exposed, do you shift the blame? Do you dismiss? Do you get angry at people when they try to say there's something defective in you, or do you own up to it? Is there somebody out there? Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. You got me on that one. I do have that negative attribute, but it's because of them. See, there's a difference between owning up, you're right. No excuses, no pointing. You hit me where I live. Okay, I need to deal with it. And saying him, her, they, as Saul did. So anyway, we're going to continue on. And today we're going to start off with, do you feel that partial obedience is acceptable? Amen. Do you feel that partial obedience is, accept, is acceptable? And one of the things that God put on my mind is that, you know, can we consider ourselves totally obedient to God while only performing a percentage of his directives? And as I thought about that, I said, well, how about if Jesus had the same mindset? Tell you what, I'll be criticized, ridiculed, spat upon. I'll let them scourge me where... They beat me with the, 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 the whips and everything. But I'll tell you what, God, once we get to that part of the cross, I did 99%. I ain't doing that final part. That's too hard. Come on, I'm scarred all over my body for life. Isn't that enough? So I've given you 99% obedience, God. Now I'm going to find myself a nice little cabin in the woods. How will we feel about that if Jesus only gave us 50, 75, 80, even 99%. And the 100% was going to the cross. 
And what would that have meant to us in terms of our fates if Jesus Christ had only done 99, 99.5, but not, had not done 100%, which meant going to the cross as he did? What would it mean for us? The answer is eternal damnation. But thank God that Jesus Christ chose to do 100% of everything that God instructed him to do. Hallelujah. Because if he had not, we would have been eternally damned and destined for the lake of fire. Think about that. If Jesus had not done 100%, just one percentage point off, 99.9%, we're in hell. That's scary. (laughs) Mr. Kelly might know, but in the website world, they had this thing called up and down time. And that's basically web servers that are running. Um, They just know at some point, especially with thousands or or hundreds of thousands of websites running on these servers, that at some point, even if it's for maintenance, you've got to take them down to install a new hard drive or put in some new chips or maybe move it over to a newer, faster improved machine. As a matter of fact, I moved one of our database servers, which was running too slow, over to another machine last week. And here's the thing. I was talking to the people at, at Rackspace, a company that does hosting, and I said, well, I know in the control panel I could just say, okay, take this server and resize it so it's bigger. He said, well, you can, but that's the first-generation server. He said, if you really want top performance without some of the quirks that we had before, you need to get off of that machine. Resizing it won't do. You need to move it to a next-generation server. So I moved it over to another server, and immediately I'm seeing greater performance, amen? And as I was talking to the guy about the performance, he said, oh, yeah, he said these have a 99.9999% uptime time. But guess what? It's got a 0.00001% downtime. So it's not perfect. At some point, there's a problem. Thank God Jesus Christ gave us 100%. Hallelujah. All right, so let's look at some scriptures regarding 100% and how we should walk in obedience to God. And I'm not talking about the times where we're vague and we're still praying and we're still seeking God. I'm talking about the times where you've prayed, God gave you the specific response, you know exactly what you need to do, and now it's just a case of do I or don't I do it. So we see here James chapter 5, verse 12. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest you fall into condemnation. So he's basically shown us here, uh, in terms of our mindset, a lot of times people will swear to stuff. And I always had a problem. Even before I was saved, people told me I swear to God. I'm like, you know what? Some stuff you don't need to mess with, especially if you know you're lying. (laughs) I would see people, they talk to you like, you know, and you know they're lying. Swear to God. I'm like, you know you're lying. Don't you have any reverence whatsoever? And then the other one, swear my mama's grave. Some things are higher. Amen? I don't think I've ever sworn on my mother's grave. But the fact is, if I did, I would at least be honest in what I was saying. But I see people that have no shame whatsoever, and they'll just swear, oh, yeah, I did this and that, and swear to God, and swear on my mama's grave, and swear on... My first child and something reverent, something higher, they swear to all the while knowing that they're either lying or the thing that they're swearing that they're going to do 
at the first sign of inconvenience, they're not going to do it. Amen? But we see here, God says, you know what? It's not about you swearing an oath to something. It's about the mindset that I speak truthfully and I conduct myself in a truthful fashion. So basically, if I say yay, he's not speaking with a forked tongue. If he said yes, the answer is yes. If he says no, the answer is no. There's no compromising. There's no straddling of defense. There's no, as the Native American used to say, you know, the, the, <laughs> I'll keep a race out of it. They speak with a forked tongue. There's none of that. He's basically saying, if you say something, you are integral in what you're saying. Now, there are going to be times where you say something, and in your heart of hearts, where you either promise or commit to or plan to do, sometimes stuff does happen. You know, there are times where you, you really, in your heart of hearts, plan that I'm going to do this, and you fail, or something comes up unexpected, and you can't commit to it, or you're no longer able to do it. Those things occur. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the times where you fully commit to stuff or agree to things or you sign off on them or you say yay or nay, and you have the capability to make that thing be true, and yet through compromise or intimidation or motives, you go off course and no longer are you speaking or conducting yourself with, you know, integrity. Amen? So there's quite a difference. And we see here that last word in the Scripture, it says, let your nay be nay, and your yay be yea, lest you fall under condemnation. That word condemnation means acting under a feigned part, deceitful or hypocritical. Acting under a feigned part. It's like you're being fake. You're two-faced. You're phony. You're putting on a facade. Acting under a feigned part. So you're playing the game, in other words. But although you're playing the game, you're not being integral or genuine when it comes down to it. And it's easy for people to say something, but it's quite another thing to pay the prices or to engage yourself in the diligence necessary to fulfill the things you've said. So as the world says, talk is cheap, but don't write a check that your mouth can't. Don't write a check with your mouth that you can't cash. Amen? The word also means hypocritical. So we're being told here by the book of James to say yes when it's yes, no when it's no. And it says that if you fail to do these things, that's when you fall under a condition of condemnation. But this isn't somewhere where the devil's placed you there by your own refusal to abide by what you said or promised. You would basically place yourself under condemnation. Why? As we see here, through acting under a feigned pretense or being deceitful or being hypocritical. And the reality is nobody placed you into that situation other than yourself. So if you're feeling condemned, don't blame the devil. Don't blame other people. In this situation, you have actually done something, you know, we can basically say self-incrimination. You have condemned yourself. And it's easy to turn the situation around. Just do what it takes to either get yourself back on course or at least go to the people and say, hey, I really intend to do this, but here's the reasons why I can't. Or here's the reason why I did it. Matter of fact, sometimes there's times where you shouldn't have said yes. And because of intimidation, you did it. Sometimes you might have to go back to people and say, look, you know, I was feeling pressure at the time. And, you know, I was fearful of letting you down. So 
I signed on for that, and really, I shouldn't. So now I can't do it, but I'm going to at least look you in the eye and say, I never should have agreed to it in the first place, you know. And if they can't live with that, then that's their choice, but at least you're now back on the road of integrity. Because we all have situations where we might get ourselves into something that we shouldn't. And in your heart of hearts, like I said, you meant, you meant it all for good. You're not evil. You're trying to be helpful. But sometimes we get ourselves into situations where we're stretched too thin or I didn't know that getting involved with this was going to be all this mess. I should have stayed out. So that's just a learning curve situation now. Amen? That's something that teaches you, instructs you, so that for the future you can avoid the same mistakes. Now, if you continue to go down the path of the same mistakes, you've got to ask yourself, is there some form of... Uh, intimidation that I keep failing to overcome or do I like mess or am I not learning from the mistakes of the past? Because <laughs> you're basically beating yourself up with continual cycles of the same thing. So at some point we get, need to get to the place where we learn. I've always told um, people over the years that it was especially early on in my walk and really even before I was saved, I've always liked helping people. I really did. I mean, I've always liked helping people. I guess this country values that were instilled in me from my mom, but like if I'm driving down the road, I see somebody with a, uh, a flat tire. I feel like getting out and changing the tire. <laughs> and there's been times where I've gotten out in dangerous situations. There's one time coming back from, I think, 95, picking up Pam's mom from the airport. We're literally on this one part of um, 95 before we get to the, the, um, uh, the 76 East to go over to Walt Whitman. We're right before you get to that span near the stadiums, and there's a, um, we see a young lady out, standing outside her car, and I see the flat tire. So I pull over and get in the shoulder in front of her car. There's this big wide, thank God it's a wide shoulder, but those cars are going, I mean, they're blowing by. And I get out and... I go over and I say, oh, you, you okay? You need any help? And she's like, oh, I got a flat tire. I'm trying to call people. I said, well, I'll change the tire. I said, but, you know, just, you know, get over to the side. And then finally she went and sat in the car with Pam and everybody while I changed the tire. Now, I get the jack out and everything. I jack this car up. And I'm literally cranking this, the thing and lifting the car up in the ground. But as cars, especially trucks, are coming by, you know how they say that bridges and roads have some sway in them? I'm feeling the sway. <laughs> So it's bad enough these cars going by, but I'm literally feeling the vibration like the road <laughs> as I'm starting to do this. And then for a while, I'm just like, whoa, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> so I changed the tire quick. The girl gets in the car, and Pam told me the whole time you were out there, she said, we were like fervently calling down angels because it was dangerous, you know. But, you know, thank God. Um, but you just kind of wonder. That was one situation when the Lord spared me and got me through okay, but... How many times do you leap out to help people and maybe you shouldn't have done it? Amen? Sometimes people got to fend for themselves. Sometimes they got to stumble and fall. And especially you're dealing with people that go through repeated cycles of financial issues. Well, sometimes they got to learn to go without. So they learn, you know what, next time I'm not going to get myself in there because so-and-so is not going to bail me out. And it's not just, I shouldn't have said money, it's not just money, it's just things in general. Sometimes people got to deal with the consequences of their bad decisions so that they learn not to do them again. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So, as we're talking about committing to things, that might be an area as well, that we make sure that as we're obeying God and, you know, 
we want to say yes to God and let it be yes. We don't want to say no to God. <laughs> but as it relates to our involvement with people, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Because sometimes we do have to give them no. And as I was thinking about this, um, in terms of our commitment to the things that we're doing for God, it reminded me of a song back at Solid Rock years ago. I, 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 I led the, um, the song 99 and a half won't do. Amen. <laughs> and basically the theme of the song or the, the, the moral behind the, st- the song was that a half away from 100% is not good enough for God. 99 and a half won't do. God wants our 100%. In the world, we had this phrase, you know, talk about stop fronting and keeping it real. Well, we need to stop fronting and keeping it real with God. Amen? Because when we fail to commit to what he is stating, that conviction and, and condemnation comes on us as we are constantly reminded by our area of compromise, which has prevented us from moving further in the things of God. Next thing we'll look at is also from the book of James. First, I'm sorry, James 1, 22 through 25. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like, a man, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So see here, be ye doers of the word. Amen. We are not in a relationship with God where we have a works mentality. God won't accept me unless I do this or do that or give him this or give him that. No, we're under grace. So just by you accepting Jesus Christ, As your personal Lord and Savior, you're guaranteed eternal life. However, we do not have a license to just sit on our gospel rear ends and doing nothing throughout our whole walk with God. He expects us to have some fruit. He expects us to take on the characteristics of Christ. And as we saw in the Word of God, Jesus Christ was always praying and looking on situations with compassion, saying, you know, I'm weeping or I'm sorrowful because look at the plight of these people. And he didn't just look at the plight and say, oh, poor them. But he went out there and did something about it. Amen. Hallelujah. He went out. He was a man of action that went out and did the word. He didn't just speak the game, but he actually did the game. So God is telling us the same, too. As we're becoming more and more aware of the character of Christ and the principles of God and what God's expectations are, God wants us to go out and begin doing those things as opportunities present itself. And if we fail to do that, there might be a time where you say, I didn't do that because of this or that. Or I didn't do this because, well, I'm afraid. What if I mess up? Okay, we have to mature sometime in certain areas. But if you continually see opportunities to walk in the likeness of Christ and you fail to do that, it actually tells us here that you need to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Otherwise, you're deceiving your own self. Maybe you think you're mature, you're actually not. You're deceiving yourself. That word deceiving means misrepresenting, deluding, or you're delusional. Or it says to take an inaccurate inventory of. You basically take an inventory of where you are in God, and I think I'm mature and I'm a strong believer, 
But if you took a true inventory of yourself and said, okay, let's look at all the situations I've had before me where I could have represented Jesus Christ. Well, in this situation, I said this and did this, but you know what? The Holy Spirit told me to say this, and I didn't do it. Okay, well, you could put the things you did right. Here's what I did wrong. Okay, another situation, the Lord placed on my heart that I need to go to that person, witness to them, and pray this or say that. Well, I didn't do any of that. Well, that goes in the inventory column of, once again, not doing what the Holy Spirit told you. And like I said, there's cycles of us learning and growing in God. <laughs> you know, I shared the, the funny situation before where I was in the, the mall around Christmas time, and I saw this these two women, and the Lord go, told me to go over and lay hands on the one. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I was just going by, hate to say to me, common sense. Christmas time, black man, two white women, uh-uh. I did not put my hands on those strange people. Now, if it's somebody I know, like I go up and hug them, give them a kiss on the cheek, hey, how you doing? But to walk up to two total strangers like that is not even common sense especially in that time of the year you just don't do that because unless you want some cuffs he tried to take our christmas presents so i come out of the mall in handcuffs but i knew without a shadow of doubt that the lord told me to do it and regardless of what i heard i was like i ain't doing that <laughs> it was no compromise and you know moses negotiated with god well send him or Maybe that person, or I'm a stutterer, or I killed an Egyptian. Moses negotiated. Me, I ain't doing it. I did a Jonah. I am not doing it. I just told straight out, I ain't doing it. It was not deep. It was not spiritual. No. <laughs> I told God, no. That, that ain't happening. <laughs> you can forget that. <laughs> And I didn't have an attitude. I ain't argue. He just said, go lay hands on her. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I'm trying to hide from them and find another part of the mall. And every t everywhere I turn, <laughs> there they are. <laughs> and, you know, then I'm walking away. And the more he's telling me to do it, the more I'm saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I am not going No. You can say what you want. I ain't doing that. <laughs> and then my hands start throbbing. And then it starts throbbing more. And then I'm telling the Lord, you can make my hand throb. <laughs> I still ain't doing it. I'm just going to boom. My hand going to be like on a cartoon. <laughs> Swell. <laughs> then my hand is throbbing so hard. It's like my hand's going to fall off <laughs> if I don't do what he said. Or it's going to explode. So finally I get convinced. But. For me, that was a situation of growth and also obedience. So God was like, no, there's a need. You're my vessel. You're going to do it. And me, I had to get past the natural and political and societal and the seasonal issues in my head, get out of my comfort zone, and finally, after my arms throbbing forever and I finally felt like my head's about to fall off, I finally got to the point where, okay, I learned my lesson, and if I want my hand to explode, I'm going to do your bidding. So I went and did it. They looked at me like I was crazy. Even after I told them I was a man of God, they were like, cuckoo. Fortunately, I didn't get arrested, but then I got home, and I watched the TV, and I turned into channels, and all of a sudden I turned the channel. I go past this one, I'm like, whoa. I back up, and they had a show on progeria. 
children who are basically look like they're aging like seven years, like for every year. And by the time they're like seven or eight, they look like they're 90 years old. Amen. And the Lord showed me that. And that's the thing. When I looked at those two women, I was like, I know their mother and daughter, but they look like sisters. But I knew in the natural, that's what my eyes were showing me. But I was like, in the spirit, no, that's a daughter. But she's too old to be a daughter. But I was like, no, she's a daughter, though. I knew that. And sure enough, the Lord had me lay hands on her. And I'm believing the Lord must have either stayed her continual fast aging process or, hey, maybe he reverted. I don't know. I never say, saw him again. But thank God I finally got into the place of obedience. <laughs> so that's the thing. Before that day, though, and here's where the deceiving yourselves would have come in. I would always say, oh, I'll run in a fiery building if the Lord tells me. I'm a man of faith. But I couldn't lay hands on a strange person in the mall because, oh, I could get myself in trouble. So I was, you know, deceiving my own self. So how many times do we have situations like that where we're deceiving our own selves? Oh, I'm super spiritual. Oh, I'm 100% on board with God. And the whole time God's like, okay, we'll put that to the test. And I've had that too. I've had times where I've said stuff and the Lord's like, okay. You said that, and maybe you think you meant that, but that's a light statement out of your mouth. I'm going to put you to the test right away. You know, the situation where I prayed for the woman and her eyes in Philly was right after. I ran my mouth and told Pam, oh, it's easy to believe the Lord and the Holy Spirit, lay hands and believe for healing. I wrote that check before I left for work. By the time I got off the speed line in Philly, God's like, all right, stage is set. That woman's heading your way. Let's see what you're made out of. Ran my mouth, and I walked past her, and here's the thing. I don't, to this day, I don't know whether it was the devil or God tormenting me. Every st- step I took past her was one more step of torture. You hypocrite. You coward. Every step I took. To this day, I don't know. I can say it was the devil, but it was like, you think about it, well, why would the devil be picking at me for not doing God's will? All I know is every step I took past that lady, you freaking coward. You talk all that smack. You wimp. You scared. <laughs> so finally, I had to turn around. I ran her down. I prayed for her. <laughs> so sometimes, like I said, we think, I'm all that. Fiery building. I know where I'm going when I die. I'll run right in to save lives. And we can't do the simple, everyday stuff. Amen. <sighs> so we see here. To be not just a hearer word, but a doer. And it says, if you don't do the word, we're not talking about when you're ignorant to the word, but we're talking about when you're fully aware of the word of God, the nature of God. And I'm not saying we're fully arrived because you're always growing in our understanding of God. And I think if you get to the place where you say, I got God all figured out, then you're stunned. Stunned and stubborn and you're placed into a box. So until the day we die, God is so deep. God is so wondrous. You could never fully comprehend God and you could have a situation I remember one time at a Bible study at Blue Cross years ago we had a guy that came in and he's a babe in Christ and I was actually teaching that day and I shared on the scripture and everything and then all of a sudden this guy said something he was a babe in Christ he literally got saved under our group and um it's kind of like one of those tweener things where it was like a question and a statement in one. It's like he ended it with a question mark, but in a sense, it was making a statement. And when he said it, everybody in the group got quiet. And we're like, can you ask that question again? Because that was deep. 
Like, you, just for you to ask that question, the Holy Spirit is all up in that. <laughs> for you to even state the question. I can't remember what it was, but it was deep. But it just shows you, like, wow, he's somebody that's hungry in Christ, just came on board, and is here to grow from us. But yet, the Holy Spirit put in him a question. It was like, whoa, that was deep. So we actually learn from his statement slash question. And it took us further into what we were doing. So um, we should always be hungry students and doers of the word. It says if we are not a doer of the word, it says it's like you're standing in the mirror looking at yourself. Wow, nice outfit. Hair's done okay. Looking good. And then you walk away from the mirror and like you don't even know what you look like anymore. That's what God's saying you're doing. Basically saying you're so glorious in me, so, you know, I've perfected you so much, or I've done this or that. Yes, you may have stuff I'm still working on, but look how wonderful you are in me and what I've made you out to be and what your potential is. But then you get out here in the world with all its situations and you do this or act this way or say this or think this way. You've forgotten the person who I've just revealed to you in front of this mirror. Amen. So that's what we have to be watchful for. And that's why 99% is not good. And we have to be willing to take an accurate inventory of ourselves. Amen. Realizing that we have not arrived. We are in a process of accomplishments. But with each accomplishment, we're really kind of like at the next stage of something new that God could either show us or do in us. We're always gaining a step, but always at the next step to something else. Amen? All right. Um, next thing the Lord showed me to discuss is that we should not forget where we came from. Amen? Don't forget where you came from. And that was a problem with Saul. Saul, as we saw in our text scripture, you were small in your own sight. When I laid upon the heart of the people to make you king, you didn't even think of yourself as a king. You weren't confident. You stood ahead above everybody else, and you were a very handsome man. But even without, with all your physical attributes, you still didn't really think that much over yourself. So it was the people that came to you and said, we want to make you your king and elevate you. And he says, I gave you the permission to get elevated to, this, to royalty, when you didn't even think of yourself that, and once you got there, now you're so full of yourself and what I want and what I desire that you forgot where you came from. You forgot the days when you were taller and bigger and handsome than everybody else, but didn't even think of yourself as big. Now you've arrived on the throne. All of a sudden, you're Mr. Big Shot. You won't obey me. So he's basically showing him, don't forget where you came from. And there's a story, Second Chronicles 26, where it's talking about Uzziah. The first thing I want to look at is Second Chronicles 26, verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> Sixteen years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jecolia of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. And he sought God's in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So we see here a young king, 16 years old, 
And he's basically been positioned to be the leader of an entire nation. And it was a humbling thing, and I'm sure it was a very intimidating thing. And you probably got people around you on all sides. How's he the king? A little pipsqueak, a little wet behind the ears. Who's he to lead me and tell me what to do? So he probably had a lot of people eyeing him and a lot of people that were elevated in positions that say, hey, that should be my spot, you know. Or maybe he could be a puppet ruler and we're actually the ones who are ruling everything. But because he had a humble mindset, it says that instead of thinking, like, I've got this, instead he went to God. And he continued to seek him. And we see here that because of his humble mindset, God caused him to prosper in everything that he did. Amen? Now, if we go down further, the whole chapter is good. But if you go down further, um, verses 11 through 21, it says, Moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men that went out to war by bands. According to the number of their account, by the hand of Jael, the scribe, and Messiah, the ruler, under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. The whole number of the chief of the fathers of the mighty men of valor were 2,600. And under their hand was an army, 300,000 and 7,500, that made war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host shields and spears and helmets and habergeons and bows and slings to cast stones. And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning men to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones withal. And his name spread far abroad, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast transpassed, transpass, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the, the priest, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priest of the, in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. <laughs> That's crazy. We see here, because of his humility, God made him to prosper in all things, in terms of wealth, in terms of leadership, but also in terms of ingenuity. We see here that basically Uzziah not only had bows and arrows, but it says here that when it says slings to cast stones, they're basically talking about he invented catapults. Just think about that. That was like, in those days, that was like having nuclear warheads. Catapults to hurl boulders at the opponent. That was insane. And yet, 
God blessed him with the ingenuity for them to be able to create those things and to have that to protect the kingdom. And um, he continued to be wise and, 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 and thankful to God, but then all of a sudden it says he got to the point where he got strong. And that word strong is basically talking about he got too big for his britches. He thought he was powerful and, and inventive in and of himself. And now, because I think I'm all that in a bag of chips, I think I'm wonderful. He went from not only being the leader of the people, but he had the audacity to say, now I have the right to go in as a high priest and to serve at the altar before God. And the thing that was really marvelous about the priest there is that even though they knew he was the king, they actually resisted him and tried to block him off. You know, really, if you think about it, they try to protect him from himself. But because he was so full of, of, of pride and thinking he was wonderful, he forced his way through. And the thing, I hate to say it, it's funny. <laughs> he pushes his way through, and he's like, oh, God's like, I can't, they can't stop you? I'll stop you. Bam. He said, God smote him with leprosy. Next thing you know, he went from forcing his way through to running out of there. Because <laughs> they say he hastily made an exit out of there. Unfortunately, because of his insolence, he was struck and he went from being in the palace and being marvelously helped, inspired, and blessed of God to now being an outcast for the rest of the days of his life. So just think about that. That's really hard way, a hard lesson to learn in terms of forgetting where you came from. He went from being a 16-year-old, humble young man that was prayerful, that sought the insight of God in terms of how to lead the people, to now an arrogant man who got, had to get smitten by God, and now he, as a leper, was outcast from the town for the rest of the days of his life. It's a hard pill to swallow. So I hope none of us ever gets to the place where we forget where we came from in God, that regardless of job, position of authority, no matter what, where it may be in our lives. I hope that none of us will ever get to a place where we say, I got here on my own and I don't need God. Or I can walk in such a level of authority that I can dictate not only who I am, where I'm going, but even in the things of God, I'm a lone ranger and I don't have to yield to anybody else's spiritual authority. I just go do what I think is right. Because unfortunately, Uzziah paid a price that he never recovered from. Just think about that. You used to be in it. One day you were literally in the palace. The next, they put you out of town. Everybody sees you. Leper. And you used to be robes, chariots, horses, wine, great food, anything you want. And now you got boils and pus and scales and scabs all over your body. And everybody sees you is ready to run because they don't want to get contaminated so they become like you that's terrible it's a terrible price to, to pay amen like i said it, pray that none of us will ever get to that place where we had to pay the price of forgetting where we came from to the point where it actually sets a negative stage for the rest of the days of our lives that's a heavy price to pay the next question though after we evaluate ourselves you know are we deceiving ourselves? Are we forgetting where we came from? The next thing the Lord placed on my heart 
is, do we permit people to get us off course? Because Saul was totally clear on what he was called to do. God said, destroy all the Malachites, not just the people, but to destroy all the possessions. Kill it all. Destroy it all. So it was not a question of Saul saying, well, God, I didn't quite understand you. You were a little vague on that point. God said, destroy it all. And then even though I don't truly believe that the people got him off course, well, I believe there's two parts of it. I believe that because he was a person that wanted to be a people pleaser, there was the part of him that says, oh, let's keep to that stuff. But I think there's also some selfish part that says, yeah, I'm going to get my cut. Amen. But the reality is we have to evaluate, are we permitting people to get us off course? And the first thing we want to look at is Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 8. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now, it's not talking to the crowd here. It says, as ye have therefore received the Lord. How have you received the Lord? And based upon the way that you received instruction about the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, you have a responsibility to walk in him. Once again, it doesn't say, as you or you all have received, so all of you walk in him. It says, so as you have received it, have you walk in it. You have a personal responsibility. It says, we should all be rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. And it says, as you have taught, been taught, you should abound in all the principles of God, not only abiding in them, but it says you should do it with a sense of thankfulness. Thank you, God. Yeah, I don't necessarily get what, all, what I want all the time. But God, I understand your principles. I understand your marching orders. And I'm thankful for the fact that I'm a child of the king. I'm in the kingdom of God, and I just appreciate everything you've done in my life. And then it warns us, beware lest any man spoil you. That word spoil means to seduce, to rob or strip. I'll repeat those before I go to the next one. To seduce, to rob or strip, that means somebody's basically enticing you to sin. Then the word rob or strip, that means that there's something that you have. It may not necessarily be something material you have, but something you have in God that has been stripped from you because you're allowing people to uh, intimidate, coerce, or some way influence you to get away from what God has instructed you to do. And then here's the one that is really um, bad, to lead away as booty. It ain't the booty like we use it in slang right now. <laughs> this is like the pirate's treasure type of booty, where you were basically a treasure in the sight of God, and somebody stole you away as if they had uh, basically attacked the ship saw a, a treasure chest, took it away from its owner, and now they're sailing off with the spoils of war. Amen? God says, beware lest anybody does that to you. You're my treasure. Amen? Beware that nobody seduces you, entices you, strips you 
of your God-given principles or the principles of God that I've spoken in your life. Don't allow anybody to lead you away as a prize as a result of what they've done. Amen? And even more so, don't choose to get yourself entangled with anything. We see here that the things that can spoil us are philosophies and vain deceits, things after the tradition of men, things that are structured or founded upon the principles of this world. I mean, all of us, I think we could truly say we love God with our all hearts, and we want to see him after this body fades. Amen? I think we can all agree to that. But the problem is there's so many things that are around us all the time that our flesh or our ego or our emotions desire. So that's where the battle is. I don't think any of us are willingly going out on a daily basis and say, hmm, let me find a way that I can uh, embarrass the name of Christ. Let me find a way that I can just purposely sin and grieve the Holy Spirit today. I don't think any of us wake up like that. But sometimes we may do these things. And it's not because we're evil people. It's because we allow these different influences to come in that keep pulling at us or they intimidate us. And the next thing you know, we meant well. We heard from God. This is what I called you to do. And, you know, one month we're on course. And it seems like everything's lining up. And the next, just like, how in the world did I get all the way over in Passaic, New Jersey, when he told me to be in Willowbro? I don't even remember driving up the, the, the turnpike. How in the world did I get here? And it happens. <laughs> you know, in the spirit, like, how in the world did I get here? <laughs> I've had, I, I don't know about you, I've had those moments. Like, how did I get here? I mean, I, even since me being here to pastor the church. I've talked to um, Apostle Lester. <laughs> you know, he's a, you know I love him as a, as a father. He's a mentor to me. And sometimes we get real on the phone. You know, without going to all the, the, the internal, hard, gritty details. But there's, I mean, there's times where I'll call him and like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, what do you mean? I have no clue. <laughs> I don't know. He's like, oh, I've been there. <laughs> he's like, I've been there. <laughs> Just keep praying. You'll be all right. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing here. <laughs> and it's not always about the church and spiritual things. Sometimes it's just like, as a guy of this age, married with two kids, living in the city, I don't know. <laughs> what the heck am I doing? <laughs> I thought this is going to happen. That was going to work out. This door is going to open. And s- some may have, some didn't. Then sometimes they did open, but they weren't quite what I expected. And it's like, what is going on? And then sometimes different things recycle. And I thought I defeated you know the beast of Ephesus so why is he waiting for me here when I thought I killed him 50 miles back oh you just stunned him <laughs> and now he's round here for round two he's just like when does it ever end and why am I here so we all have these moments but it's one thing of getting off course because we've done something wrong or heard something got wrong it's quite another when you knew full well that the things people are saying or doing are taking off course, and even as they're trying to pull on you, you know it, you go with the crowd anyway. That's where the getting off course can get you in a situation where you're like Saul. Saul knew clearly what he was supposed to do. But he was so concerned about what they're going to think about me that he did it anyway. 
Now, if he had known the consequences, maybe he would have been a little stronger will. <laughs> I actually saw a show the other day where this person is a specialist. She was coming in and telling the business how to overcome some of the flaws. And she actually looked at the people before she came in and met with the owner. She put hidden camera into place and everything. And the first thing she did, she's just like, they talk to you like a dog all day. Like, you're their grunt. You're their assistant. You're their errand boy. You're their trash pickup. You're, you, you're all the grunt labels that they can think of. And right in front of your customers, you're the owner of the business. You're the one to file the license, put the money up. Right in front of all your customers, they talk about you like a dog. He's like, well, I, I think I you know, should take a course on leadership. And she, like, turned the sheet like, <laughs> like, basically, you get me mad even talking to you. It's like, your business, I'm coming in as advisor. I'm getting mad at you by the fact that you're talking about taking the course. He's like, well, what should I do? She's like, what am I telling you? She's literally telling him, leadership, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to tell them that they're going to run errands and they're going to clean up and they're not going to talk to you like that. And he's talking about taking the course. She's like, no, you need to tell people this, 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 and this or the door. Amen. <laughs> and uh, she said some other things too, but needs to say, fortunately, by the end of the show, he actually took on the attributes of a leader. But the fact is, his entire business was going downhill because he had a vision, but because of intimidation, everything was going under. And I think he said he was averaging, as an owner of business, taking home $250 a week and living on credit cards. While the people that worked for him were getting a check every week, like, hey, I just bought a new phone, new outfits. They're, like, living good, treating him like a dog, and he's getting 250 a week and living on credit cards because... He's too intimidated to speak up. So thank God, you know, <laughs> the situation has turned around. But you just got to wonder, how does intimidation, maybe not that direct, but how much does people approval or intimidation or enticements pull on us in such a way that ends up getting us off course from what God has clearly said, this is what I told you to do. And then we sit there and wonder, why do I keep going through these cycles why am i out in the wilderness and god is sitting there the whole time like i told you what to do i told you you got the nerve to ask why i keep going around instead of going into the promised land it's the same as it was with the people of israel in the old testament i told you how to get there just do it and sometimes it's a little hard but you got to get to the point where you say, is it more important to please the people and never get the prize of God? Or is it more important that even if I don't have the people, I receive God's promises? That's a decision we might have to make. But I can guarantee you the prizes and the destiny and the call of God is greater than anything that people could give you anyway. Because people love to tear you down. Or sometimes in their own jealousies, they'll try to prevent you from getting what is before you because they're not trying to do anything with themselves. All right, Second Peter 3, verses 13 through 18 says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. 
Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, have written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking to them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. We see here, looking to a new heavens and a new earth. We're looking for the promises that God has before us right now on an earthly plane. But we see here that there are things that are trying to take us away. It says that if possible, the enemy will either by himself or through uh, inspiring people, he will use them to get us led away with the error of the wicked. And it will cause us to fall from our steadfastness in God. But he tells us that we have to be careful, amen? Once we learn the things of God, some things are going to be um, hard to understand. And then, in some cases, people that are unlearned and unstable will rest with these things, and it will cause them to go off course. And that word unstable means to be unfixed or vacillating. Unfixed. And when you think about the word unfixed, it's basically saying instead of you being stable in Jesus Christ, where you're not up and down in your life, uh, your, your life with God is, is, is constant and continual and, and it's steady. You're not like up and down in terms of your faith or your commitment with the Lord. Um, we see here in the opposite for those who are allowing themselves to get uh, led away by the error of the wicked, that they are unfixed. They are not stable. And then it talks about vacillation. That's basically, <laughs> if you've ever seen a scope, uh, like a waveform on a machine, or if you ever look at uh, medical equipment in a hospital, you see these sine waves or whatever going up and down. They vacillate. Or sometimes you'll see the ones that look more like a, um, the frequency of a recording, where you'll see, like, little waveforms. Matter of fact, like, if I download... Um, the sermons, and I bring them up in the, my, my product that I use editing, you'll see like the waveforms of me speaking and how they'll go up and down um, based upon how loud I'm speaking or how I'm enunciating. Amen. So unfortunately, we're seeing here that if you allow yourself to get led away with the error of the wicked, their thought patterns, their enticements, their intimidations, their motives and agendas, that Instead of you having a steady life in God, your life can actually vacillate similarly to that. So each one of us, I'm sure, wants a steady, uh, deliberate life with God where we can pray and believe him for things. Not just for ourselves, but for our family members. All of us have those desires. But if we're unable to gain those things, it could be due to the fact that we're allowing ourselves to get off course with people leading us astray with different things. Amen? So we have to be very careful that we stay true to what God is telling us to do. And we stay true in terms of our mindsets and the perceptions to what God is speaking to us. 
And Lord, as we see here, is long-suffering, so he's not giving up on us. But at some point, if we're dealing with a lot of instability or we keep seeming to repeat patterns, we need to get to the place where we say, you know what, I'm tired of going through this continual cycle. It's time for me to stay focused. And, hey, I noticed before it seemed like I was about to get that breakthrough or the door's about to open up. And all of a sudden, things didn't happen. And then I got to another situation where it seemed like it was about to happen again. I was right at the cusp of it and didn't happen. We might have to go back and evaluate and say, is there a common pattern here? Well, wait a minute. Every time I was about to get over a hump, it seems like this kind of situation always comes. I get a call or email or something breaks off over there. Hmm. Or sometimes it could be different people. I notice different times that <laughs> I have a person in my life as an associate, a professional. I learned that several times where I'm about to go into something big professionally, it seems like if we haven't spoken three, six months or whatever, all of a sudden he'll pop up and like call me and try to get me to do something in business with him. It's just like, I'm like, okay, so I know this is going to be good because here he go call me again. <laughs> and I have helped him here and there. Last couple of times, I haven't really helped him personally, but I have somebody that will do work for me. So I basically said, okay, I go to the guy that I get trust to do the work for him and say, okay, he needs this. What will it take to do it, you know, price-wise and everything? And are you willing? Yeah? How much? Okay. All right. The guy I have, he says he's going to do it for you for X amount. Well, just give me his – no, no, no. You're not dealing with him. I'm going to make sure he's treated right. He says he's going to charge X amount. I'm going to manage it. You're going to give me that money. I'm going to pay him. I'm going to be the middle man. So that's how I handle it, and it's worked fine. But I just noticed that there's different cycles where something's going on professionally that's going on a new horizon, and, like, he'll pop up, and it's always like, oh, I need this by tomorrow, and it's something that should take, like, weeks to, like, even consider. So some of those things are, like, not even considering. But then the things that can be done, I patch them into the guy that's associated with me. But I've seen, like, that's a trap that the enemy tried to do stuff to spread me thin. And actually, years ago, there's this woman, um, uh, Marion Stanley, that actually warned me about that after prayers. The, the Lord gave her a word for me and she said, actually, the enemy is going to try to bind me up. She literally spun me around to, like, you know, kind of like, I guess, give me a demonstration of what the enemy's trying to do in his spirit to, like, tie me up or stretch me too thin. And even in that, gave a warning that somebody was going to try to steal the revelation that God had given me. And that's not like the revelation of God is just mine. But what was going to happen is God has given me certain things that he wants me to write or to, or to record or whatever. This person is going to do it and put their name on all of it, which I don't mind speaking and sharing and you taking what you get from me and you go share it in your own way. And, hey, if you got something you could bring out of it that's even greater than what I share, hey, you can bring it back to me and give me something now. I, I ain't got a problem with that. But there's a quite a difference between that and me learning from somebody or reading something in a book or you learn something from me and taking it back and putting your own spin on it and, and enhancing it and make it better, hey, that's all on God. But to take it from somebody else and then say it's mine, like word for word and, and say it's mine, that should not be done by a Christian, first of all. That's not, that's not, that's not, it's not integral. And the crazy thing is within a few days of her warning me of that, somebody literally called me in and asked me to hand over my full library of stuff. And I was like, I didn't even get a person to answer. I said to pray about it, but the answer was no at the time. 
And the person never came back again for me to have to give them a no, but it was going to be a no. So, <laughs> so you got to be careful because the enemy will try to send people on a spiritual perspective. That's what my point is. Or a secular perspective or a familial or relational perspective to try to pull you off course. And see, you got to be the one to say, no, I'm staying on course. You got to be the one. Because sometimes they're not going to know and the enemy will use them to help try to get you off course. Other times, for their own motives, they want to keep you off course. But you've got to be the one that's strong enough to say, no, I'm not getting off course this time. Well, you're going to miss out. All right, well, I'll miss out. <laughs> well, you do that. Well, you got threatened. I got to stay on course. Well, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose then. I'm staying on course. I'm not getting off course this time because I want to get God's promise. Or if I receive the promise or, or a, a, a role in God that I want to keep, as we see with Saul, I need to stay on course. Because the same way he was stripped, I could be stripped. Amen? So it comes, it's both ways. Sometimes you're trying to attain and you can't let people get you off course. Sometimes you're there and you want to keep the position that God has given you. Hallelujah. Which brings us to the, uh, the next thing the Lord placed in my heart. Whose perceptions are you concerned with when you fail? Whose perceptions are you concerned with? We saw that Saul was once again concerned about the people. He's like, oh, yeah, after Samuel had to push it out of him, he's like, all right, I've transgressed against the Lord. He said, but uh, I'll repent, you know, but can you go back with me so I look good? With the people? Because if, if I come back to the people and they see that Saul done left town or Saul looks like he's storming out of town mad, like he's about to call something down, they'd be like, oh, Saul got in trouble. So Samuel was worrying about political packaging and posturing. He's like, oh, well, all right, I know I did wrong. Yes, I've transgressed, but let's, make, let's do a spin on it and make things look good. Even with me having the kingdom ripped. Just go back with me so things look good. Let's go arm in arm or you were walking down the street smiling so everybody thinks everything's cool. And he's probably even thinking like instead of the kingdom being ripped from me, Saul's walking with me and I look good. You know what? I've decided to resign. <laughs> Spin doctoring. <laughs> back in medieval times. Before CNN. Spin doctoring. But Samuel had no part of that. He's like, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. Matter of fact, and he started walking, and that's where he ripped the edge of his garment. And Samuel turned to him that last time and said, just as you ripped the hem of my garment, he's the same way your, your kingdom has been ripped away from you because you didn't want to repent the right way. You were worried about how people looked at you as opposed to how God himself looked at you. Amen? And here's the thing. I truly believe that before Samuel came there, he had the opportunity to repent. He could have left that situation. It could have been recorded in the Bible that Samuel came into Saul. He told him that he was wrong. And Samuel could have said, I repent. I'm going to immediately kill Agag and destroy all this stuff and the livestock. And he could have been fine. But he chose that I'm worried about how I look and didn't want to come clean. And we see in a similar story, you know, Nathan comes into David. If David had not responded the right way, oh, you are the man. Yes, I have, I have sinned against God and God alone. Forgive me. He, he was forgiven. He lost a child from that relationship. You know, well, that child. But at least he kept his kingdom. 
But if David had not, if David, if David had taken on the same approach as Samuel, there have been two stories in the Bible where kingdoms got ripped from him for not sinning, as not repenting the proper way. So anyway, when we are, are forced to admit that we've disobeyed God or we've gotten ourselves sidetracked, are we more concerned with how people perceive us or ensuring that we're restored to right standing with God? You know, are you just willing to repent? Like, I don't care what people think. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah, they can talk about me and how I missed it. But I'm worried about God. I ain't worried about how I look before that. I'm not worried about being embarrassed. Luke chapter 5 tells us who we should be concerned about. Luke 12, 1 through 5. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which you have spoken in the ear and closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's intense. He said, you need to know who you need to fear. Amen. Your arms are too short to box with God. You need to be scared of the big man upstairs. Now, and that's the thing. We could be so enamored with the fact that he loves us and endures us, but we need to have that respect. And he's, as we go through situations where we fail, instead of being so concerned about, oh, well, people, I'm embarrassed because people are going to look at me funny or people are going to talk about me. No, you need to worry about the person that governs your eternal existence amen what he thinks about you whether or not he approves you at the end of the day that is the thing which is important and you know what i, I found a, a funny thing you know the pharisees <laughs> did you realize that there's separatists in the bible <laughs> you know we talk about separatists you know, from a political perspective, oh, those people are separatists. They want to separate the govern, government or they want to get themselves out into this uh, ranch somewhere out in the boondocks where, you know, they got their guns and rifles and they're stockpiled up and stuff like that. I just happened to look at the word Pharisees and the underlying word is, is separatists. <laughs> These are people that would separate, separate themselves in this case from true gospel of Jesus Christ. And it also talks about them um, being associated with a root word that means to wound. Not only do they separate, divide, and conquer, but in that, they also wound people. So why are we concerned about people who are hypocrites, that are separatists, that are people that will wound people with their attitudes and their speech and how they talk about you behind your back and how they betray you? Why are we worried about what they think about us if we failed instead of worrying more about getting ourselves right with God? That is the only thing we should be concerned about. If I'm right with God, then that's good enough. Amen? Hallelujah. John on the island of Patmos, he had God alone, and that was enough for him. Peter in jail. Paul in jail. I'm sorry. Paul in jail had God alone. That was enough for him. Hallelujah. Matter of fact, he says, it's more needful for you people for me to remain here, but if I die here and go on to be with God, all is good. All is is well with the world. So we should not worry about what people think. It tells us here, 
beware ye the leaven of the Pharisees. And we can take that a little further and say, beware the leaven of people that we're trying to please. That word leaven means to ferment as if boiling up. To ferment as if boiling up. So something is, is boiling up underneath. We ferment. Well, I don't ferment, <laughs> but people, when they're making alcohol and beer, they have a process where things go through something called fermentation. Amen. And basically, they put the, you know, the yeasts and the barleys and grains and stuff like that together. They let it sit for a while, and this stuff bubbles up inside of it until finally it starts to get this potency in it. And the same thing, though, with people. Sometimes they're holding on to things or they have hidden motives and mindsets where this stuff is bubbling up on the inside. Amen. And it's in those times where we fail that they show their true colors and they criticize and they point the finger and they judge and they try to demean you and keep you in your place. But we should not be concerned about them in those times of our failures. Like I said, we need to be more concerned about getting ourselves on course with God because if we're on course with God, then nothing else ever ever matters. Amen. God will make sure we're okay. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And here's the thing. God has a final say in what he's going to do with us. God is the one that's going to make sure our destiny in him is fulfilled. So that is the only thing we need to concern ourselves with. Hallelujah. So we should not be focused on that. We should not be concerned about that. Instead, we should be focused on getting ourselves back into right alignment with God. And that's, so that's the final thing. To avoid being rejected by God due to rejecting him, if we failed in that, all we need to do is go back and repent to God and get ourselves back in right standing. We see with David, when he was in a situation, as I mentioned, with Nathan, Instead of him finger-pointing like Saul did, he repented. You can see that in 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel 12. And God actually said something. Actually, God didn't say it, but in the book of 1 Kings, it actually mentions something about David. 1 Kings 15, verses 4 and 5 says, Nevertheless, for David's sake did the Lord his God Give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So God did keep track of the fact that he failed him in that area, but yet he still looked at him overall and said, you failed me in that area, but because you repented and got yourself back on course with me, I will still establish an eternal kingdom upon your throne. And as we know, Jesus actually came from the line of David. So God extended him. And uh, if you look in the book of Acts, chapter 13, 22, it says, and when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So I'm sure each one of us would like God to look at us the same way. Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul was faced with the possibility of repenting after he got off course and missed the call of God. And because he failed to do so, 
Not only was he temporarily sidetracked, but now he basically lost his destiny. And if you really look at it, because of the, the, the stages and the consequences that were opened up through that, he not only had the kingdom removed from him spiritually on that day as he ripped part of the hem of Samuel's garment, but as he, we came on years later with David, he got a spirit of jealousy, he got a spirit of murder, he ended up pursuing and trying to kill David, and then eventually his life was cut short or early on the battlefield because of his sins. Amen? David, on the other hand, dealt with a situation where he truly did wrong, you know, but because of his mindset and heart of repentance, God said, I'm going to make you pay the consequences for this specific act by losing this child. But he says, After, because you repent it, I'm going to reestablish you and his throne continue on. And now there were still some further consequences from that. You know, he had a spirit of lust and greed and covetousness. He got a man killed. Now the same things he did came back to haunt him in his own house as he has one son with a spirit of lust that sleeps with his sister. Then the other brother gets jealous and kills him. So now murder is in his house and lust is in his house. It hit home. He had to eat the consequences of some of the stuff he did coming back to strike in his own house. Amen. Hallelujah. And even the son that he had with Bathsheba, Solomon, lust problem as well had hundreds of concubines and strange women that took him away from God. Amen. So there's consequences that still might be born after we've done something. But despite all these things, we see that God still got him to the place where he had a throne that was established um, perpetually. And God even remarked about him that he's a man after my own heart who shall fulfill all my will. So I'm sure all of us wants God, want God to look at us and say, Hey, you know, Tony and Linda and Kelly and Trey and Kyle and Brian, they mess up sometimes. They get sidetracked. They screw up. Sometimes it's because of people. Sometimes they need to take the ownership of it themselves. But the reality is when they mess up, they repent. And I see them as people who fulfill all my will. And because of that, I'm going to establish them. Amen. Hallelujah. And keep them going perpetually. I'm going to leave a legacy behind uh, that not only will touch their children, but their children's children should Jesus Christ tarry. I'm sure that's the promise that we want God to uh, fulfill in our lives. But it starts out with us being honest as to whether or not we've not only heard God's instruction, but we're also fulfilling it according to how he has spoken it. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all rise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for your word. And, Lord, as you've given us the awesome privilege of partaking of it, we just thank you right now, Father, as we evaluate the story of Saul and Samuel and how he refused to take ownership for his um, shortcomings, for his sins, for allowing himself to be a people pleaser and also for uh holding on to things because of his own lust. We praise and thank you, Father, that 
we would just be cognizant of this as we would deal with various situations, Lord, that we would take ownership of these things, that we would confess our faults before you and our sins, Father, as they were revealed. Holy, especially when things are exposed, Father, let us not blame shift and point the finger at that person or those things, but let us um, come clean before you and, and ask you, Father, to not only forgive us, but create in us a clean heart, renew a right spirit in me. We thank you, Father, that we do want to walk in divine favor. So many of us have new situations that we're going into educationally, career-wise. Um, some of us have things that we need financially, or we have things that we're praying about in terms of relationships, Father. Whatever it may be, Lord, we praise and thank you, Lord, that, Holly, as we walk in obedience to you in the areas that you've spoken to us, Father, that you would not only bless us with the fulfillment of those things, Lord, but also that you would bring our prayers, our dreams, and our desires into fruition, Father. We praise and thank you, Father, for this. And most of all, Father, beyond anything that we can achieve, we praise you, Lord, that um, as we will walk in obedience to your instruction, it keeps us in right standing before you so we can clear, clearly hear your voice in other situations, Lord, and we could be a blessing not only to you but also in the lives of people around us. So we thank you, Father. We praise you. We thank you, Father, for um, letting us hear that still small voice. Hear you speak to us in our dreams. Hear you speaking to us through your word, through nature, through different things. And as we respond to your voice, Father, holy, we praise and thank you to anoint us, Father, to be a good vessel, hallelujah, fully equipped and perfect to work in your kingdom. We thank and praise your Father for this. We give you the glory, Father, for this, for this in Jesus' name. And finally, we thank you for safe traveling mercies home. And for those, Father, who we, we were lifting up in prayer earlier for healing in their bodies, for other situations as well, we thank you to touch them even now. And we thank and praise your Father for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.